This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. For more audiobooks and other content, please visit reconstructionistradio.com. Book title: Church Shift. Author: Sunday Adelijah. Published by Charisma House. Copyright: 2008. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 9: You are a deliverer. On Friday, April 2nd, 2004, our congregation marched for a second time on City Hall, and this time we were 20,000 people strong, six times the size of our original group. We were bigger, we were bolder, we were more unified, and we were not going home until the government lived up to its original promise. Our march was highly organized. Everyone belonged to a group of five. We carried flags of our country. Our choir members wore their blue robes and shook pom-poms. We held hands and sang and praised our way to the city center. It was almost like one of our lively church services, only in the middle of the city. I'm quite sure people had never seen anything like it. At City Hall, we assembled, and I spoke to the media and said, As believers, if we don't make the authorities stick to their promises, nobody else will. We should display the civil norms for people to know there should be decency in everything. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. People can't go on like this with no electricity in the complex we're gathering in. The toilets are closed. People aren't allowed inside. There is a huge army of people. We're Ukrainians, citizens of this country. We have rights. We say, let us build the building ourselves, but please give us the opportunity. Bold words stirred in my spirit. I knew what I was thinking hit the nerves of our society, yet I could never have imagined this statement would become famous throughout our nation. I said to political leaders, if you will not accept responsibility for this country, then I will. We chanted our slogans with power and joy, saying, dear mayor, the people are waiting for you. But from City Hall, there was only silence. Nobody came out, so we warmed up in a familiar manner by praising and dancing. The police were shocked. Our message was not hatred and rebellion, but love. We proclaimed that God loved Ukraine, and we, God's kingdom people, were taking responsibility for our rights and for the ills of the country. Our balloons, banners, and flags were of many colors, foreshadowing the orange-themed revolution that was to come. People linked arms and twirled. For some onlookers, it must have looked like the wildest religious service they'd ever seen. After four hours, we got our breakthrough. The assistant to the mayor came out and spoke to us through his megaphone. I spoke on the phone with the mayor, he said. He is busy now with regular meetings, but this matter will be settled this month, and the land will be set aside. This was encouraging, but we knew better than to go home yet. We refused to disband and instead prayed and sang and celebrated until the mayor himself came out and spoke with us. This time we made sure to get his signature, not just his promise. The city told us immediately what land it was giving us, a well-situated 6.2-acre plot that would accommodate us. Then I got on a megaphone and said to the 20,000 people, We have documents, signed documents. Congratulations. The people chanted, thank you, to the city building. That day, the city council kept their word. Our victory was finally sealed. I learned a major lesson that day. It's not enough to have large numbers or justice on your side. 
God needs deliverers like Moses to rise up and lead people to victory using wisdom and power. Earthly authorities respect only visible and tangible force. They will not give in easily. The government of the city was able to ignore our request and trick us into going home after our first march. But when they saw tens of thousands of people on the streets, they fell outmatched and had to give in. To rule your promised land, you cannot rely on the goodwill of leaders. You must exert your power, become a godly leader, and actively take the land. We must all become Moseses. Let's look at five things Moses did to free his nation. Number one, Moses identified with his nation. To be a deliverer, you must identify with your nation. You need to believe that God cares for your nation as a whole, and you need to see yourself as an integral part of your nation. Too many Christians see themselves as existing apart from their nation. They say they are citizens of heaven. That is true to a point, but it does not let us off the hook for completing our work here on earth. It is impossible to be separate from your nation. God does not see you as an isolated individual with no connection to the society around you. Extreme individualism does not work in the kingdom of God. You are part of your nation and are responsible for its sins or its righteousness. You are also part of your family and workplace and local body of believers. This is an inescapable part of being human. The way to be effective for the kingdom is to identify with your nation, family, employer, and local community. Take responsibility for them and use your strength and all your skills to bring kingdom principles. In Jeremiah 29.7, the Lord spoke to people living among unbelieving nations. He expressly gave them responsibility for the nation in which they lived, even though that nation was not their own by birth. Quote, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. End quote. In other words, don't try to excuse yourself from working for the good of your nation because God has linked your peace with its peace. There are no exceptions for believers who are trying to follow God over in their own little corner. No, it's your job to make sure peace and prosperity come. Fix the economy. Fix the political problems. Fix the ungodliness and entertainment in sports and business. God is expecting it of you. He identifies you with your nation. Until you see this, you will miss the heart of God. Why doesn't God let us identify only with ourselves or with other believers? Because God so loved the world. He is still trying to redeem the planet, not just tend to the redeemed. Remember that the Good Shepherd left the 99 to rescue the one. Jesus came to give the entire world light. He identified so fully with us that he died a human death. He took personal responsibility for the darkness of the earth. But he didn't stop there. He passed the light-bearing task over to us as long as he was in the world. He was its light. But now we are the light of the world. Moses understood this valuable key. He told the people of Israel, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Deuteronomy 9.18 Moses was willing to suffer for the sins of his nation. True deliverers identify themselves with their nation or group. They are willing to take the blame upon themselves. We too must learn to stand before God for our nation, just as we stand before him for our personal needs. 
Moses was even willing to give up the comforts of Pharaoh's palace, where he was raised, to identify himself with Israel, which was a people in slavery. We must also identify ourselves with our nation so that we forget about our own lives. This strong identification will give us strength to stand for our nation until our last breath and last drop of blood. Often we say that we love our nation, but do we really? Many Christians try to love their nation from afar, as if it is something not to be embraced or touched. But true identification gets mud on our hands. It makes us part of the problem and the solution. It turns us into radical, passionate people of action. Once your life is on the line with the success or failure of your nation, you can no longer be complacent. You will be compelled to innovate and improve and stand against principles of darkness. You will see the affairs of your nation and family and workplace as very much your business. You will see that it's in your best interests to give your life to promote kingdom principles so your nation is transformed for God's glory. I used to see myself as a pastor in Ukraine, but I have changed my job description. I am now the deliverer of a nation. I have identified myself with Ukraine. Her peace is my peace. Her success is my success. Her sins are my sins. Her failures are my failures. And I will share in her salvation too as we transform our country into a model of kingdom principles. You cannot rule your promised land from the sidelines. You can't phone it in. You must identify yourself with your nation as Moses did. Number two. Moses spoke for God. It's not enough to hide God's word in your heart. You must speak for God in your place of influence. If you don't represent and promote kingdom principles, you are harming your nation, family, employer, or group by denying them the answer. God has placed you there to be his spokesperson. Moses did not initially want to be the spokesman for God and for the nation of Israel, but he accepted his calling. You too are a Moses, even if you don't want to be. Everyone on earth is called to be a deliverer in their sphere of authority or expertise. It's not optional. As a child of God, you belong to an army of deliverers who lead from a million positions of authority throughout society. How do you speak for God at work? By promoting kingdom principles wherever you can. You stand up for integrity, justice, patience, honesty, respect, and compassion. You might deliver your employer from corruption by refusing to pad expense accounts or under-report profits. You might influence your company to help the needy through a new compassion program. Every decision you make either delivers or enslaves people. There are a million ways to establish the kingdom of God one choice at a time. Every decision is founded either in righteousness or unrighteousness. Every choice can be a building block of national reformation. It is not enough to see our everyday choices as mere private decisions in our personal walk with God or our career. No, they affect everyone around us, and ultimately, they shape our lives and society. The more you speak for God, the more God moves into areas where darkness used to rule. Christians are the most valuable citizens of any country or corporation because in every circumstance, we take God's side. Believers change the atmosphere and direction of society wherever we go, whether at a board meeting, church, or the PTA. What is your current sphere of influence? How are you speaking for God there? Be a Moses. 
and speak boldly for God. Number three, Moses confronted Pharaoh. Sometimes speaking for God means confronting powerful rulers as Moses did. Ungodly leaders can be stubborn. If Moses had relied on the goodwill of Pharaoh, the people of Israel might still be in Egypt. That's why there are times when you will be called upon not just to add your voice to the national conversation, but also to confront a person or group of people who are acting unrighteously, just as my church confronted the government by marching on City Hall. Pharaoh is a symbol of anything or anyone who keeps people from serving God. Remember that God's request through Moses was, quote, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. End quote. Exodus 5, 1. As Moseses, you and I confront people in powers that keep people from worshiping and serving God. Psalm 86, 9 says, quote, All nations shall come and worship before you. End quote. That is a dream in the heart of God, and we must bring that dream to pass. No Pharaoh can stand in the way. By confronting unrighteous leaders, you are doing them and your nation a favor. If you don't boldly bring kingdom principles into society, you undermine your leader's ability to act in righteousness. How are they to know the right way if you don't tell them? They must feel the pressure, knowing that people in their nation are standing for truth and justice. Then they will act righteously, even if it's not from a pure motive. But as they feel that pressure, God has a chance to change their hearts. Our church's representatives experienced this firsthand during a meeting with the then mayor of Kiev some years ago. He was making a decision that affected our church in important ways. While other believers from our church were praying elsewhere, God was doing his part by changing this man's heart right before their eyes. Instead of the normal hostility they received at City Hall, they felt the atmosphere was pleasant, almost welcoming. They could feel God's presence where they used to get refusals. The mayor said that soon he would come to God too. That day our church saw that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, as the Bible tells us in Proverbs 21 verse 1. If each one of us manifests God in our area of society, it gives room for God to touch people's hearts, including the hearts of executives and rulers. If the people reveal God, he will change the heart of the king of that country. He will soften the hearts and turn them toward the care of the people. God can fill the heart of a king with love for his people. When people do God's will, the heart of the king belongs not only to God, but also to the people of that country. You may think, I'm just a worker, or I'm just a college student, or I'm just a housewife. But ingrained in your gifts and talents is a calling to set people free with the power of Christ. God gave you that authority. The time has come for societies to begin operating by kingdom principles. We need to be aggressive about standing up to the pharaohs and reclaiming places now occupied by the ungodly. Then his dominion will come. Be a Moses. Confront the ungodly when the time is right. Number four, Moses raised up other leaders. Having an impact means more than confronting leaders and trying to influence the powerful. It means raising up other believers to become leaders in every sphere of society. We cannot fold our hands and think that our prayers will convert every leader into a godly person. We can't blindly hope that God will raise up good leaders out of nowhere. No. We are the agents of change. We are to actively raise up God-fearing leaders from our own ranks to have their own impact on society. 
Moses was a leader, and he set an example for us by raising up other leaders. Soon after leaving Egypt, Moses, quote, chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, end quote, Exodus 18, 25. He understood that one person cannot transform a nation alone. It takes an army of Moseses to restore the kingdom of God to a nation. In our day, we must help train and direct people in their areas of leadership. As a pastor, I want to help everyone around me find their calling and be successful in life. I make every effort possible using whatever knowledge I have to help each person in my life to become a success. I am obliged to help everyone because this is the true nature of God, and this is one of the works God expects us to accomplish. I'm convinced that a pastor's most important task is to help his members become all God made them for. Kingdom leadership differs from worldly leadership. Worldly leadership is focused on the success of the leader. Kingdom leadership is others-focused. Moses was not seeking his own good when he led Israel out of Egypt. Rather, he was seeking the good of the millions who followed him. Let's look at some key distinctions between kingdom leadership and worldly leadership. Kingdom leaders try to elevate people by encouraging them and building them up into the people God wants them to be. But an ungodly leader rules by control. He restricts those who work beneath him. He controls through excessive rules and regulations, prohibitions, threats, and fear. He doesn't influence people from the inside, and he doesn't encourage or inspire. Rather, he clamps down with the external rules designed to keep everybody in line. Kingdom leaders use their authority to make others successful. A kingdom leader becomes lower than those he leads so they can stand on his shoulders and reach even higher. His followers know that they can put the full weight of their trust on him. He makes himself a ladder that other people climb on their way to success. But a worldly leader sees people as tools for his own success. He is always demonstrating this to his people making them feel that they are nothing in comparison to him, that their positions are less honorable and less prestigious than his. He tries by various means to destroy the potential and capabilities of the people he's been entrusted with. He doesn't give them a chance to develop their talents. A kingdom leader is always trying to work himself out of a job. He knows how to trust people and how to delegate authority to fulfill all kinds of tasks. He tries to make himself unnoticed and unnecessary. His goal is to be so effective at raising up other leaders that he himself becomes unneeded. But a worldly leader tries to always be indispensable. He sticks his nose into every task that promises to add to his credibility. He makes himself a bottleneck for approval. Your job as a kingdom leader in any sphere of life is to do as Christ did. Quote, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. End quote. Matthew 20, 28. We must raise up godly leaders just as Jesus did with the apostles in the early church. We can't afford to be lone rangers if we want to see our nations change for God. Moses learned to raise up leaders, and we must do the same. Number five. Moses was insulted by ungodliness. Some Christians who become leaders in society don't reach their full potential because they are comfortable with the ungodliness around them. 
They remain complacent because the ungodliness does not sufficiently bother them. That is not the example of Moses. He was insulted by the ungodliness and unfair treatment he saw in Egypt. That feeling of insult spurred him to do great things for God. In today's world, ungodliness and evil point their dirty fingers at the church of the living God, daring to challenge her. Pharaohs burn the church in every country, mocking the people of God. Satan is shouting as loudly as he can through the media and secular culture. He wants to paralyze the church through intimidation. It's as if he's saying, try to stop me. He is strutting around, showing off his supposed stature and size, making us believe all society is with him. We hear the ungodly boasting about their plans to change the laws and standards in their favor. Many Christians shut the doors of the church and cry and weep and pray, hoping Jesus comes back soon. But we must become insulted by ungodliness as Moses did. There is a time when holy anger comes up in our souls, when we feel insulted like David felt insulted when Goliath hurled insults at the armies of the living God. We must become insulted by ungodliness in our society. We must have a holy anger at the kingdom of darkness. Some Christians don't even blink at ungodliness. They hear about ungodliness, but to them it's just news. They don't see it as defiling the earth God is trying to win back to himself. Where is our outrage? Where is our anger? Where is our sensitivity? The Bible says that when Moses visited Pharaoh to announce the plague on the firstborns, Moses was, quote, hot with anger, end quote, Exodus 11.8. Why aren't we hot with anger about the ungodliness around us? Are you insulted by ungodliness? Does the ungodly news of the world stoke the fires of righteous anger in you? Or have you become like Lot, accustomed to the ungodliness of Sodom and Gomorrah? God is raising up leaders who are insulted by ungodliness. They are raising their voices against the devil's taunts. Many of them are coming from unexpected places. They are the outcasts, the migrants, the neglected people, the forgotten, and the childlike. They will not be absorbed by the ungodly culture they find themselves in. Will you respond to the insult of ungodliness as well? Are you a man? God's definition of a man is different from ours. The prophet said, quote, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. End quote. Isaiah 59, 14-16 There are several important points in this passage. First, God uses people to carry out his plan for the earth, not angels or any other kind of supernatural being. On earth, men are his primary means to establish his kingdom. He does not send an angel to do a man's work. Gabriel and Michael are not coming to our rescue. Only men can stop the disgrace of ungodliness. The second point is that God's definition of a man differs from ours. It says, quote, He saw that there was no man. End quote. Did this mean there were no males around? Of course not. Then what does it mean? Who is a man by God's definition? If we are not men, what are we? 
God looks at many of us and does not see a man. A man brings kingdom solutions to the earth's problems and restores justice and truth. God wants to stop tears and chaos and terror and injustice in our nations. But will he find people he can do it through? Do we fit his criteria? When God looks down from his throne, what does he see? Men and women ready for service? Or non-entities? Who are you in God's sight? A person ready to impact the life of his nation? Or does he look at you and not see a man? God calls us men only if we identify ourselves with God's kingdom principles. God wants his people to take full responsibility for our nations. Today, God is looking at those who are called by his name. Will we become like Moses, leaders and redeemers of nations? Have you ever gone to the garage looking for a tool and realized that among all the screwdrivers and crowbars and hammers you own, you use relatively few of them? In fact, most of us rely on a few specific tools that seem to work better than others. I think God has the same feeling when looking for people to use. Some Christians just work more effectively than others. It is possible to be both saved and useless. Perhaps God relies on only a few of us. It's dreadful to consider how many times any one of us has been passed over. I believe God looks upon the earth today and grieves over the condition of mankind. The word wondered in this passage does not only mean that the Lord was surprised. It has a much stronger meaning. God was in awe at what he saw. There was no justice, truth, or judgment in the earth. Even worse, there was no intercessor to challenge the present lawlessness. God was very disappointed. If you are God's representative, you are called to be a man, a true man. Your duty is to stand for his interests and do his will. For this purpose, he saved you paying a very high price, the life of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He stood in the gap to save your soul. Will you stand in the gap for the salvation of the earth? Can he count on you? Every local church can be a breeding ground for deliverers and Moseses. The church is not for entertaining believers, but it is a place to raise up world changers and history makers. In our church in Kiev, every member is trained to identify an area of life that he or she will dedicate himself to save and deliver as Moses did. Every believer is a Moses in his or her own sphere. The pastor's role is to lead them into that promised land. It's time for an army of Moseses to arise and take their place in the nations. This battle is fought using the principles of the kingdom of God to vanquish the kingdom of darkness. In the next chapter, I'll share some practical secrets. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 9 Number 1. It's not enough to have large numbers or justice on your side. God needs deliverers like Moses to lead people to victory using wisdom and power. To rule your promised land, you cannot rely on the goodwill of leaders. Number 2. It's not enough to hide God's word in your heart. You must speak for God in your place of influence. Number three, sometimes speaking for God means confronting powerful rulers as Moses did. By confronting unrighteous leaders, you are doing them and your nation a favor. Number four, when people do God's will, the heart of the king belongs not only to God, but also to the people of the country. Number five, We are to actively raise up God-fearing leaders from our own ranks to have their own impact on society.
Number six, in today's world, ungodliness and evil point their dirty fingers at the church of the living God, daring to challenge her. Number seven, every local church can be a breeding ground for deliverers and Moseses. The church is not for entertaining believers, but it is a place to raise up world changers and history makers.